Hello, friend. I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome to the Today I Am Enough podcast season three. This season, we are taking time to better understand who the women in the New Testament are and their experiences. We will learn more of them, their story, and how Jesus Christ tutored their lives. We will learn more about how much Jesus Christ loves women. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. This week, we are discussing Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 5 through 6. A lot of these chapters repeat the same stories, so you will find several of these stories in at least two of the chapters that we're going to go over. We have several different women that we are talking about today. The first group of women we are going to talk about is Matthew 13 and Mark 6. We are getting a small glimpse into Jesus's family. So Jesus returns from Na- returns to Nazareth with his disciples. He begins teaching in the synagogues and many are confused in some if you will, like in some way, they know Jesus. This is where he grew up. They say, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brother and James and Jose's and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then have this man all these things? They are confused. They know Jesus. They know that he is Mary's son. They know that he is the carpenter's son. They know who his brothers and his sisters are. We know he had more than one sister because they refer to sisters with an S, which would be plural. They say that, and his sisters, are they not all with us? So this could mean that either his sisters are still living at home or they have married and they have stayed in Nazareth. That's all we know of Jesus's family and his sisters. But it is exciting to know that Jesus grew up with sisters These are the women that he would have interacted with growing up. Not only Mary, but these sisters that he had would have been influential in his life. They would have been the first women to interact with him and to know potentially even of his divine calling and who he was. Okay, so the next group of women we are going to talk about is not uh, a pair of women that we want to strive to be like. But we are going to talk about women in the scriptures, and there are different types of women in the scriptures. I am not exactly sure how to say her name, Herodias. That's how I'm going to say it. I'm sorry if it's wrong, though. So we're going to talk about Herodias and her daughter. And in the book that I often reference, Walking with the Women in the New Testament, she goes into a lot of detail about what we know of Herodias. We are just going to scratch the surface a little bit, though. More often than not, we find righteous women in the scriptures, but it isn't always the case as we're going to find out here. This is in a couple of the of different chapters from this week. So Herodias is Philip's wife. Philip passes away and his brother Herod takes takes his brother's wife as his own. So John the Baptist comes and tells them, that it isn't lawful for him to have his brother's wife. It is against the law of Moses. Herodias didn't really like that, and she wanted John killed. She couldn't make the call on that. It was her husband's call, and he didn't want John the Baptist to be killed. He actually really enjoyed learning from John the Baptist. But to compromise with his wife, he put John the Baptist in prison, 
So that's where he stayed. He wasn't killed because um, Herod didn't want to actually kill John the Baptist. He was a man of God and did not think that John had done anything worth killing him over. So it's Herod's birthday and they're celebrating. And Herodias's daughter comes out and dances. And in the women of the New Testament book, it is mentioned that a lot of times we think of this part as the the daughter comes out and it's kind of a seductive type dance. It never says that. And actually she explains at this time and the situation that it would have been in, it was common for young girls, like 10 to 11 years old, to dance at a party, but it would have more would have been more like a theatrical dance or gymnastics in nature type of dance. And so he enjoyed the dance. He thought she did a great job, offers her whatever she'd like. So she goes and consults with her mother. She tells her daughter to ask for John's head on a charger. We can see that there is a relationship between this mother and daughter when the daughter isn't sure what to say in this offer that's given. And she goes and talks to her mother and discusses it. So I want you to think if this girl is 10 or 11 years old, that's still primary age for the most part in our church. Can you imagine asking an 11 year old for a man's head on a charger? The king has to follow through because he has made an oath and it was made in front of everyone at the party that she could have whatever she wanted. However, he really did not want John to be killed. And so this was hard for him. So he sends a servant to go do that. And the servant brings the head of John Baptist back on a charger to the daughter. It says in the scriptures that he brought it to the damsel. I cannot even imagine seeing that, let alone my 10-year-old daughter being handed that. So needless to say, Herodias was a very wicked woman who was teaching her daughter her own ways and not the ways of God. So that is how we end the beginning of chapter 14 with John the Baptist being beheaded. The apostles go and they bury the body of John the Baptist and they come back to Jesus and they tell him what has just happened. This is how Jesus's day is starting out. He finds out that his cousin, probably one of his best friends has been beheaded. Jesus wants a minute. So he goes to a place of solitude just to be alone for a minute to take in what's happened. He loved John. He had a relationship with him. However, he does not get much time alone. The people see him leave and they follow him. He teaches them. He has compassion on them and teaches them. And it gets late. It's time to eat. The apostles ask if they should send the people away. However, there is a boy with five loaves and two fishes. And so Jesus says to bring it and he prays. He breaks the bread and the apostles distribute the loaves of bread and the fishes. They've divided the the people into groups. And so the different apostles go and serve the groups. And it says in the scriptures that they feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus taught families this day. He fed families that day. It was not just the men, but the women and the children who followed him too. Satan wants us to believe that there isn't enough for everyone, that we need to be selfish with our possessions, our blessings, our spiritual gifts, our time, the things that we're sharing. He wants us to think there isn't enough to go around. There isn't enough room for us. However, 
The story of the loaves and the fishes shows us that there is an abundance. There is enough for 5,000 men plus the women and the children in the company. And even that, the apostles each left with a basket full of loaves and fishes. So not only is there enough to go around, there's an abundance. We can gain spiritual knowledge. We can gain spiritual blessings. We can share the gospel on social media. We can uplift and strengthen others. There is enough love from Jesus Christ to go around for all of us. In fact, there's an abundance. There is enough for you. You are enough in his eyes as you strive to become closer to him. After they feed the 5,000, Jesus goes back by himself for a moment. The apostles get on a ship to go across the sea. And in the Come Follow Me manual this week, it says, one of the clearest messages in the New Testament is that Jesus Christ is a healer. Accounts of the Savior healing the sick and afflicted are many, from the women with a fever to a widow's son who had died. Why the emphasis on physical healing? What messages might there be for us in this in these miracles? Certainly, one obvious message is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with power over all things, including our physical pains and imperfections. But another meaning is found in his words to the skeptical scribes, that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. So when you read about a blind person or a leper being healed, you might think of a healing, both spiritual and physical, that you can receive from the Savior and hear him say unto you, thy faith hath saved thee. I want you to think about that as we discuss one last story. This story doesn't involve a woman, but it's one that I feel is really important to share. The apostles are on this ship. They are fishermen. They are experienced on the water. They're experienced with storms. And Jesus has gone to the mountains to pray. The ship is in the middle of the sea and it is tossing and the waves and the wind are very rough. So in the fourth watch, which when we look at the footnotes, says between three and six in the morning, Jesus went towards the ship. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were afraid. They weren't sure if it was just a spirit. They didn't know what was happening. But Jesus spoke to them and said in Matthew 14, 27, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee in the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind bolsterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come to the ship, the wind ceased. There's three things I love about this story. The first thing I love is that Jesus calmed their fear. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. When we're in the middle of a trial, a struggle, a storm, it's easy to think about what could be, what could happen, what 
what is happening, what other people have gone through, their results. But in the middle of that trial, when we find Jesus, these words can be something we can cling to. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. He is in our midst. It might be that he's afar off, that we might not recognize him initially, but he is there. Jesus invites Peter out on the water with him. And in verse 29, Peter walks on water. Did you catch that part? Peter walked on water. When was the last time you saw or heard anyone else doing that? He becomes afraid because of the wind, so he falters. He fell, and Jesus reached out and saved him. Peter doubted. All After all that had happened earlier in that day, he still actually walked on water. Even if he did fall, it still happened. The next thing I love is that Jesus immediately reached forth his hand and caught Peter. How do you see yourself in this story? Jesus invited Peter to come to him to step out of the boat and onto the water. What boat are you being asked to step out of? What is the next faithful and courageous step to follow the Savior in order to be closer to him, to walk towards him? I want you to remember that you can have miracles in your life, just as Peter did. Even if you falter or fall and Jesus has to reach out and save you, it doesn't mean that the miracle didn't happen. What is the next right step towards Jesus Christ in your life? Okay, so John 6, 66 and 67 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? So I want you to remember the disciples are those that followed him, those 5,000, those people that would come and flock to him, those people that shared the truth after they learned of Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. The 12 were his apostles. So there were many that did not walk anymore with Jesus Christ after he talked about being the living bread. So he asks his apostles, are you going to stay by my side? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I love that question. To whom shall we go? When you turn to the Lord, he will help you. Where else would you go? Where else can you go? I'm sure there's a lot of worldly answers to that question. If Jesus is asking, will you also go away? Especially in this time that we're living. There's a lot of question and a lot of people going away. But to whom shall you go? When we turn our life and we turn our focus onto Jesus Christ, we can walk on water. And when we falter, he will reach out and save us. Keep looking for him. Keep finding him. Look for the miracles that are happening. The abundance that is enough to go around for all the things in our life because he is there and he is helping you every step of the way. Thanks for joining me today.